The book of Joshua is the beginning of Israel's military conquest of Canaan. The conquest is a magnet for criticism against God, because how could a good and all-loving God instruct his people to completely destroy all the natives of Canaan? Well, Joshua 2 helps us understand God's feelings towards the enemies of Israel, and it teaches us that no matter how far away someone is from God, they always have an opportunity to come back. God has Israel invade Canaan for two big reasons. First, it was the land that he had promised to Abraham long ago in Genesis chapter 15. God had already made Israel into a numerous people by the time of Joshua, counteracting the curse of painful childbearing in Genesis 3.16. Well, now he's giving the exceedingly fruitful land to Israel to counteract that cursed ground of Genesis 3.17-19. But God is also having Israel invade this land as a form of judgment against the native peoples. Again, in Genesis chapter 15, specifically verse 16, God says to Abraham that they, Israel, shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God had given centuries for the people of Canaan to repent, but nothing had changed for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, we're told that God is giving the land to Israel not because they're exceedingly righteous, but because the other nations are exceedingly wicked. So God has decreed that all these nations are to be devoted to destruction. You'll see that term throughout the Old Testament quite a few times, devoted to destruction or utterly destroyed, depending on the translation you have. In Hebrew, it's a single word, harem. It's related to the Islamic idea of haram, forbidden. It's a distinct way of destroying a city and its people. Once a people were dedicated to destruction, there was no saving them. You couldn't ransom them. You couldn't enter into a covenant with them. Everything in the city, man, woman, child, animal, and property, all of it was to be completely burned up. To spare anything was a failure. Israel was to understand this destruction as a sort of sacrifice to God. For example, in Leviticus 27:28, we read that no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. So Jericho is the first city to be dedicated to destruction. So Joshua, the new leader of Israel, he sends in two spies. We don't really need to dig into the specifics or motives of why they headed to a prostitute's house, first of all, but that's just where they end up. And here's where we meet Rahab. Jericho's already low on the totem pole, but Rahab, she's even lower than that. She's a prostitute, a profession which, under Israelite law, was worthy of the death penalty for polluting the people and the land. We see how despised of a profession this is when God uses it as a metaphor for Israel's unfaithfulness. The prophets, they take full advantage of the despised status of the prostitute and use some really strong language most of us would be embarrassed to hear at church. Prostitution was an anathema in Israel. Yet Rahab, of all people, ends up being the hero of our story. The king of Jericho he gets wind of the two spies, and he comes to Rahab demanding that she hand them over. She insists, though, that they've already left, and she sends the king out on some wild hunt for a red herring. But we read in verse 6 that she's actually hid them on the top of her roof. Now, why would she disobey her king and put her life at risk to save these two spies? Well, we start reading in verse 9, and Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Jericho, they've heard about who God is. They've heard about what happened to Egypt and the ten plagues. They've heard about Sihon and Og and how they were devoted to destruction. And now they know Israel is knocking on their door. And so they're terrified. Now here's the difference between Rahab and the rest of Jericho. Rahab is just afraid of God as everybody else. But she lets her fear motivate her to obedience. The rest of the city, they acknowledge God and his might. But strangely enough, they still insist on fighting against him. I don't know if they think maybe they can actually win against him with their own idols, but for whatever reason, they decide to put up a fight. But as far as Rahab is concerned, Yahweh is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The full story of Rahab isn't finished until Joshua chapter 6, but Rahab and her family are all spared for her act of faith in God. Despite her profession, despite her sin, despite the punishment she was about to meet, her faith in God saved her. James picks up on this theme in the New Testament. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, he has the overall argument of how faith is to be demonstrated and proved by works. And he does so by contrasting Rahab with the demons. The demons, James says in verse 19, they believe, they understand who God and who Jesus are, and as a result, they shudder. They're terrified of who God is. They, just like the men of Jericho, are fearful of God, but for whatever reason, aren't going to do anything about it. Rahab, on the other hand, in verse 25, she's justified by her faith because her fear moved her to action. It doesn't really matter how far you are from God. Faith is going to bring you closer to him. As the conquest of the promised land begins, Rahab is a demonstration that all of these people who were destroyed, they could have turned back to God and been saved. Many people today are afraid of a wrathful and angry God threatening them with eternal death. Now, the threat of hell is real, but don't let that fear paralyze you. Let it drive you forward to God, who is willing to take anyone, even a prostitute of the doomed nations, as one of his people. 